Hello, and welcome back to Current Account. I'm your host, Clay Lowry, Executive Vice President here at the Institute of International Finance. On Current Account, I try to talk about what I see as the most important current issues in international finance and economics, while providing my own U.S. politics and policy angle on these different issues when relevant. So this week, I want to focus on an executive order that came out of the Biden administration in August on the topic of outward bound investments in countries of concern. So let's start with some of the basics about what this is. The first thing is this is very, very different from anything that the United States has ever done. It is an idea that has been kicking around for years, which is how do you prevent investors that are U.S. citizens or U.S. entities from investing in countries, actually in this case, it's China, because it might have a nexus or a relationship to national security. Now, this goes against a lot of the grain of how we sort of live in the United States, which is you're kind of free to invest in anything you want as long as there's not fraud or it's illegal or there is a direct national security problem. But this one goes beyond that. So let me kind of explain what it does. First, as I said, it is directed specifically at China. Now, the language talks about countries of concern, but right now we're only talking about China, Hong Kong, and Macau. Second, it's been limited or targeted to specific areas that at least I guess would be thought of as if capital could flow to those areas, it could be a multiplier or a force multiplier that could create national security concerns for the United States in the future. So the three areas that have been identified are, first, semiconductors and microelectronics, particularly high-value-added semiconductors. Second, quantum information technologies. And third is artificial intelligence. Now, there are basically two parts to what would happen. First is that there would be a prohibition on actually investing in those sectors. Now, when I say investing, I mean a direct investment. So taking an equity stake, a joint venture, but actually taking a stake in those ventures. There would be prohibited categories. And as I said, there are going to be specific criteria next to them. Second would be that there would be a notification requirement across the board in those three areas, even if there's not a prohibition. So there would have to be a distinction. In the area of quantum computing, for instance, there is no distinction. It's just prohibited. But in the area of semiconductors, there could be lower end semiconductor issues, different parts of the value chain. They're not considered as relevant. And so there would have to be a notification to the government of that investment, but not necessarily a prohibition. Artificial intelligence is the one that actually is still a lot more difficult and a lot more vague in the executive order. And in fact, actually, the Biden administration has asked for feedback on what it's put out there because of their own uncertainty in this area. Over the past couple of years, when we've been hearing about this issue or this potential policy, a lot of people have called it reverse CFIUS. Now, let me explain what that means. CFIUS, for those that don't know, stands for the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. And really what it is, is basically if there is a merger or acquisition into the United States, so an entity outside the United States is trying to buy something in the United States, and it has a nexus to national security, and there are basically criteria that put into the law. 
then the private sector parties are supposed to essentially file that transaction with the government. That doesn't mean anything more than file it. At that point, the government takes the information and does an investigation and decides whether or not there's a national security concern. This has been going on for many years, but it became much more robust over the last five or six years, particularly towards countries like China, but not just China. It applies to if it was a UK firm that was buying something in the United States. So the reverse CFIUS is not actually as accurate from the executive order standpoint, and that's for a couple of reasons. The first is it's only targeted towards China. It's not about every other country in the world. Second, it is about outgoing investment, not incoming investment. And it is not necessarily about acquisitions or control, but it is about direct investment. And third, and maybe most importantly, it has a totally different system on how to do this. It is not, I'm going to file with the government and let the government then do its investigation. Instead, the private sector actors, investors, the companies that are doing the investment, what have you, will have to do essentially their own compliance regime to figure out, is this what the government was talking about? And should we prohibit ourselves from this investment? Or should we report that investment to the government? And so in essence, it kind of turns the government into an auditor of what is happening. Now, they can produce fines, but the idea is is that the private sector investors will be the ones that actually are self-reporting as opposed to the government doing an investigation per se. The Biden administration's executive order was put out as what's called an advance notice of proposed rulemaking. Now, what that means is basically the government is asking for thoughts and advice, as I mentioned earlier, on kind of what is the actual definition of artificial intelligence and how could it be applied to national security before they get to actual real rulemaking. And real rulemaking is going through a regulatory motions. There will be a notice and comment period on that. So in some respects, probably the effective implementation of something like what I've been describing won't happen for at least probably a year, if not 18 months. I tried to describe why I think the Biden administration is doing this, but just to go a little further. So the concerns are that there's a gap in the system. Right now, we have national security measures to prevent goods from flowing to countries of concern, but we don't have the means necessarily to stop financing from going to countries of concern. And so this is an idea of trying to address this. And then the Biden administration, obviously, as I said, tried to target it at these three high-level areas. The issue, though, raises a number of concerns. And it raises concerns on actually kind of both sides of thinking about this. And there are those in Congress that are actually starting to look at both sides. The first, let's talk about as sort of those that think that this goes too far. I would say that in the United States, that would be those that think this is not how the U.S. government should do things. Why should it tell Clay Lowry or you, the listener, or a company how it should invest its money? if? the nexus to national security is so vague. So in other words, if you're saying to an investor, we know there's a national security problem with that entity that you're investing in because they have bad intentions on the United States. Okay, that's one thing. But that's not what this does. This goes much further than that and goes into specific sectors, even to investing in entities that may have absolutely nothing to do with a problem with the United States. 
Second is the definitions on doing something like this are vague. And so it leads towards uncertainty on what to do. Do you over comply? Do you under comply? How do you make sure that you don't get yourself in trouble? Which leads you to the next problem, which is the government has essentially outsourced this to the private sector to figure out how to comply and adhere to this. There are going to be a number of firms that simply don't have this capability and capacity. So how are they going to actually do it? The government is kind of silent on that and instead is, as I said, becomes more of an auditor and basically says, we will catch you if you don't do it correctly. But if things are vague, it's going to be hard to figure out how to do it correctly. And then maybe the last problem on this side again is that this is going to create potentially an international competitiveness issue or maybe be even counterproductive for the United States because firms outside the United States could compete in these areas and provide the financing that would have otherwise come from U.S. entities on things that really probably don't have that much to do with national security. On the other hand, there are those that think that the Biden administration may have taken a decent step with this, but they have not gone nearly far enough. They would argue for a few different things. First is you need to broaden this out even further. There needs to be more sectors involved. One of the ones you hear about a lot is biopharmaceuticals, but it would be go beyond even biopharmaceuticals. Second, there needs to be more teeth in the program. It shouldn't just be that the private sector kind of self-reports. It should be that the government actually investigates and is very engaged in how these type of investments are happening. And third, and you heard this from the chair and the ranking member, so Republican and Democrat, of the special committee on China that was set up, where they basically think it shouldn't be just direct investment. It should also be passive investment. Passive investment is basically the money that you have in your pension fund or your mutual funds or what have you. And you know that they're investing in different stocks and bonds and so forth, but you don't really know exactly what's going on and you're not taking a direct role. That's passive investment. The people who believe in this think we need to prohibit that as well. Their theory would be we just need to starve capital, whatever type of capital, from going to China and in numerous cases and not just these specific ones. So the national security nexus, as I said earlier, is even more attenuated. And lastly, a different thing is that one reason I think that the administration took so long to actually put this out was they were trying to figure out could they get international support for it. Now, they realize like this is a new area. It's a new sanctioning tool. It directly puts pressure on China by trying to starve it of capital in a way that may make countries that want to have better relations with China much more uncomfortable. So only over time will we see, and I think that part of it is the countries are watching what the United States does. How implementable is this? Because right now, the jury is still out. As you can tell, there's a long way to go on this. The rulemaking process, actually the initial rulemaking process, which is an advance notice, closes up this week. And so we'll start seeing comments, thoughts, and so forth from those that are following this closely. The government then has time to respond to that. And as I said earlier, they will be then trying to figure out how do they take the ideas that they put forward and take the comments that they receive and put it into genuine, direct, and detailed rulemaking. All of that will take time to do. Second, there's going to be a lot of concern about 
kind of, and I tried to get into this when I said those that want the administration to go further, which is, is this a beachhead for much more to happen in the future, as opposed to this is it, this is the limit to what we have. Could it go to other countries besides China? Could it go to lots of other areas as some in Congress wanted to do? Could it go towards passive investment? Those are things that we'll have to be looking out for. And then finally, we haven't actually thought about, is there any retaliatory measures or thoughts from China on this issue? It is directly addressed towards China, while the National Security Advisor has talked about there being a small yard with a high fence, which basically is that we're not going to do that much, but in the areas that are national security oriented, we were going to put up a big fence. A lot of people are thinking that the yard seems to be growing. And the fence is very high, but the yard continues to grow. And if you're from China, you're thinking that's a pretty big yard. Before I continue with this podcast, I wanted to say a quick word about the Institute of International Finance's annual membership meetings. From October 12th until October 14th, the IAF will be hosting its annual membership meeting in Marrakesh, Morocco, alongside the fall meetings of the IMF and the World Bank. In this three-day program, it'll be an opportunity for attendees to hear from CEOs, chairs of major financial institutions, central bank governors, and other influential global and regional policymakers. We get to make business connections with peers and clients from across the globe, and we discuss very relevant topics such as the road to net zero, shifting risk landscape for the global financial sector, data, artificial intelligence, digital transformations, central bank digital currencies, and oh my gosh, so much more. Our event will take place at the Move and Pick Hotel in Marrakesh, but online attendees are welcome to access the live stream of the event and network with attendees through an IIF meeting app. And furthermore, we're looking forward to the event in Marrakesh, but we would like to emphasize this is an incredibly challenging time for the people of Morocco. In addition to keeping those affected by the recent earthquakes in your thoughts and prayers, the IIF encourages donations to reputable organizations providing disaster relief to those affected by the recent earthquakes, including the World Central Kitchen, which is the official charity of the 2023 annual meeting. For more information and instruction on how to register, head over to IIF.com slash events or reach out to meetings at IIF.com. Now, back to the podcast. So now it's time for my three to one. That's my three main takeaways, two things I'm looking forward to, and one sports fact. So the three main takeaways. First, the Biden administration has put out an executive order to prohibit outward bound direct investment into China. Next, this policy is not just controversial, but it's going to be hard to implement. And it's going to take a long time to figure out all the rulemaking, but we'll start to see more and more progress on that over the coming weeks and months. And third, there are those in Congress that are on both sides of this issue that think the Biden administration may have gone too far. And then the Biden administration has not gone nearly far enough as we try to figure out how to deal with China on a number of different economic and financial areas. The two things I'm looking forward to. First is the comments that are received. There's a lot of very solid professionals who are very knowledgeable on how investments work that are going to be providing comments. I think that will be helpful to the Biden administration and also to those of us who are observers 
to see what are the concerns that are being raised besides some of the ones that I have raised on this podcast. And second, what's China's reaction to all of this? We don't really know at this point in time, but I think that we might start hearing more and more about that in the future as China looks at some of the details of what actually is being discussed. And now my one sports fact. I wanted to talk today about the WNBA. That's the Women's National Basketball Association. So the WNBA is the Professional Basketball Association for Women in the United States. They are down to the semifinals uh, for their championship. The WNBA has existed for 27 years. When it started, there were eight teams. There are now 12 teams. Maybe more importantly is that TV ratings have started to go up pretty significantly for the WNBA as it has caught on and become more and more popular. I think to look at this year's championship, we're down to the four teams. It turns out that these were the top four seeds going into the playoffs. There are two teams that draw the most attention. The first is the defending champions, the Las Vegas Aces. They also have the defending most valuable player, which was Aja Wilson, and they're the number one seed coming out of the regular season this year. So in some respects, they're the odds on favorite. However, the number two team is what's called sometimes a super team. So the super team is the New York Liberty. Now, why do I say they're a super team? It was mainly put together over last winter during the offseason. They recruited two former Most Valuable Players, the leading assist woman in the WNBA, as well as having two of their own former All-Stars on the team. So the New York Liberty got put together in this super team. They were the number two seed. They beat my team, the Washington Mystics, in their first playoff round, and now they're in the semifinals. Maybe more importantly, in New York, basketball is a very well-loved sport. But there has not been a professional team in New York to win in basketball in 50 years. We're actually on the 50th anniversary for the New York Knicks winning. But after 50 years, maybe this is the time that New York stops its losing streak. Well, whatever the case may be, and I didn't get to talk about the fact that the Connecticut team and Dallas team are also in the semifinals though, as a three and four seed. We'll see over the next couple of weeks. But it is interesting. And I'm looking forward to the WNBA playoffs and the championship. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode of Current Account. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback on the show as we constantly look to improve and enhance the experience for you, the listener. We can be reached at podcast at IIF.com. All our episodes can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.